When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. City of Chronicles is a Bayard Chronicles production. Juve, Bruce Valencia, Napoli's being like done with Osimhen. So I, I honestly, I feel like I'm always going to end up in jail at the end of the Welcome to a, another special episode of the Seria Chronicles podcast with me, Mina Rizuki. And as ever, I am joined by the wonderful Nikki Bandini. Now, Nikki, last week I had called you the light and I am the darkness. And it seems to have really tickled a, a lot of uh, people <laughs> listening. I'm looking at you, Laura. <laughs> but I am the witch of Seria. And I think that that's why we have such a yin and yang energy, right? <laughs> It's lies. She's lovely. She lies. She pretends to be awful. But I'm extra excited this week because Mina, in fact, uh, has magicked up from her witch's cauldron a fantastic interview for us this week. Um, uh, Gianluca Buzio of Venezia is going to be joining us. So I'm very, very excited for that. Oh, I am very excited for that too, Nikki. I feel like um, when it comes to these things, we just have so many questions to ask that I don't even know sometimes how to ever like conduct these interviews in a normal, timely fashion. I'm like, oh, and, oh, and, <laughs> and it's like, on the, until they hang up on me. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's normal. That's, that's the life of a journalist doing any interviews. You're always like, how far can I push this? How long can I go until someone physically stops me? <laughs> and sometimes you're surprised. Sometimes they'd actually really are enjoying the chat with you and they don't want to stop and, and you get away with a lot. And sometimes you can see they're trying to get out of there as quick as they can. So I'm sure Gianluca will want to give us lots of time, but uh, we'll find out soon, I'm sure. There were some great matches this week. I mean, so great. Like I had like my heart, like, I mean, my head in my hands really most of the time because like, I mean, there was Venezia Verona, there was um Sassuolo's game and now I forgot who at the top of my head honestly but it was just like because I had decided to place a lot of bets this weekend because I just felt like it thought it was going to be a fun time and I had put 3-0 on into winning 2-0 against Roma and it came true <laughs> did you bet on 2-0 or 3-0 
Because if, if it's I you, know, I've got I some know. bad news. For you. Oh, wow. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes. <Good> bet. <laughs> wow. And I just thought, I mean, it's, it's, it's money in the bin. I know that. But I just thought it's worth like a, you know, a tenant, you know, and that, that came through. So, yeah, that was a little fun. If we weren't doing all this digitally because it's 2021 and that's how it works, I would be saying coffee's on Mina, but apparently not. You'll just have to owe it for next no. time. This should definitely be dinner at this point, but yes. Um, but let's let's start. I'll say I'll tell you guys something, you know. Like Nikki's like the sweetest person, but when she loves something, she starts to swear. And she swore <laughs> when we started talking about Napoli Atalanta. She was it's like, it was so Effing good. Yeah, I don't know if I should repeat it. Otherwise, we might get in trouble with the. Um, I think you have to put like an explicit <laughs> censor thing on your podcast if you use those words. I shouldn't. But yeah, it was that good of a game. Let's let's start there. This is, by the way, can I just note something? A lot of us came into this season, and it wasn't just you and I, but a lot of people who follow the league closely, a lot of journalists, a lot of pundits, had worried a little bit about Atalanta this season. You know, um, were they going to be able to keep up with what they've managed over the last few seasons under Gasparini? There has been obviously the loss of Papu Gomez. Ilicic is someone they depended on, but not always dependable, you know. They had lost, obviously, Golini and Romero to, to Tottenham Hotspurs, you know, large transfers away. Was it going to work with everything that they had changed? And yet, this is their best ever start to a Serie A season. Gasparini is totally, I wouldn't want to say, kicking butts all over the place. <laughs> and they, they arrive at Napoli and deliver the most delicious spectacle ever until everyone started applauding them at the end. What a lovely stadium the the Diego Maradona stadium is. Look, um, there are people I know who've had some pretty bad experiences around that stadium as well. So of course, with every football stadium, there's good and bad, um, but it was certainly a wonderful, wonderful thing what happened on Sunday night. Because I think what you had was two football teams who, look, I'm not necessarily going to tell you that this was the um, best uh, technical uh, football you'll ever see in your life. Though some of it was very, very good. Um, I'm sure that there is space within what happened on Sunday for someone to be a grump about it and say, well, if you came here and played sensible football, if you came here and, and didn't play in such an open way, you could have avoided some of these goals. You could have uh, actually manipulated them. I, I don't care. Is that someone allegri? <laughs> because... <laughs> What happened was Luciano Spalletti, who was out basically half his starting 11 at this point, no Victor Osimhen, no Anguisa, no Fabian Ruiz, no Lorenzo Insigne. I'm missing someone else off that list as well. He's literally missing Koulibaly. half the starting 11. Koulibaly, of course, and that's a really important one, actually, given what happens. Could say exactly what Jose Mourinho says later on, by the way, and we'll get to that. Don't worry, Mourinho. Um, uh, opinion holders, because we're going to get to Jose and say, oh, I've got nothing left. Oh, woe is me. And he didn't. He said, all right, then I'm going to come up with a 3-4-3 that's sort of trying to mirror Atalanta's. And we're going to say, Atalanta want to play all in these one-on-ones. They trust their players. They empower them. They say, you can win the one-on-ones and that's how we're going to attack teams. We're going to press high. And Spurti said, we're just going to do the same. And we're going to try and do it better than them. And look, in the end, it didn't work, right? Because they lost. But my God, it made for a fun 90 minutes of football. Really did. I, I really, really enjoyed this game. I enjoyed it too much. Yeah, it was it was one of those games where you're like, oh, it's so open. Like if you like me and you're so used to watching yeah. defensive things, you're like, 
be careful, no, no, stop. <laughs> that was pretty much me watching this game, you know. But you're right. It was it was so tremendous to watch. I love that they mirrored each other. I love that it was duels all over the pitch. I love that there was just so much ambition shown to score the goals. I mean, to hell with defense, right? And and it was interesting actually because a lot of people had said that you know they're losing Osterman, they're losing Anguissa, and then Anguissa, and then how much of the goals would be missing. And but it doesn't matter because they had the best defensive record. Aha! But they don't it's anymore the because they're midfield. <laughs> Exactly. And I think that's what makes it so much fun is that they, they aren't really concentrating on the defensive and they have lost key players, obviously, because Anguissa is that player that secures your defense, your midfield and that line and the strength within it is what gives you the security at the back. And then missing Koulibaly as well makes the difference, right? And they changed everything. So going, you know, at the back. So that obviously I understand that. But here's the thing, like, Everyone was like, oh, look, why were we, were we even worried about Napoli? Look at the way that they, you know, handed Lazio their ass, basically, you know, as in it was just a, a, a case of it was just such beautiful football. Obviously, Merton scoring nonstop. And you just looked at Lazio so deflated, so incapable of even doing a single thing on that pitch. And Napoli won so easily and convincingly. And then I just have this thing about Napoli that I'm always a little bit scared about. And then they played Sassuolo. And pretend, I mean, it was rightly disallowed, that, that goal at the end for Defrel. And it finished all equal at 2-2. But frankly speaking, Napoli could have lost that game. And the one thing that scared me is why wasn't Diego Demi introduced beforehand? I like it when they have more of a physical presence in midfield because it's a lot of beauty in that game. But sometimes they are a little soft, Napoli. And you need your, you know, I think it makes a difference, for example, when Labotka was taken, was, was hurt and had to be taken off because he, you need that kind of player for Napoli. And I feel like if they were going to invest in others, they need to keep bringing these guys in, you know? So I looked at them against Sassuolo and thought they're going to get smashed against Atalanta, but they didn't. And I thought it was so impressive considering the fact that they lost so many of their players that they don't have some of their stars that they're obviously like much of their spine, like you had mentioned. Um, and yet they, they put everything out there. They didn't make excuses for themselves. And I love the way that Spalletti talks because that is what changes mentality. When you're always doing the woe is me, it annoys me so much. But I love that Spalletti saying, I don't care. We're not using that as an excuse. We're going to go and we're going to try to win this game because that's what Atalanta do. They have played against Manchester United, against all the top clubs without some of their best players. And they do their best and always entertain. And Napoli is now that side. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Atalanta is also still outside. I mean, my favourite moment of this game, without doubt, is Rafael Toloi, a centre-back playing a beautiful down-the-right-channel uh, through ball for Mary Demiral, a centre-back who, for some reason, in the 60th minute or whatever it was, later than that, 70th minute, is literally charging into the... Um, into the nappy box, you're thinking, how did you, how did you get there? I need to wind back the tape and find out how that happened. And, and it working and Demiral scoring a brilliant goal and having just been at fault, by the way, to, on the goal they conceded to, to Mertens. I loved, um, I'm sorry, I'm just transitioning this conversation from Napoli. I completely agree with you about Spalletti. I love that mindset, but I'm transitioning it to Atlanta, who did after all win this game, because I, I think yes. that, that was sort of made it so, um, the childlike beauty of it um, that comes out for me is Gasperini at the end of the game saying, this is the football I've had in my head and Atalanta let me do it. 
like defenders attacking, everyone attacking. This is like, that's, I can't remember his exact phrasing, but it was basically that, you know, I've had this idea in my head of how football should be played. And over the last few years, basically, Atalanta has said, yeah, you can do that. And it turns out the ideas he has in his head have been good enough to finish in the top four now repeatedly, have been good enough to make them a competitive side in the Champions League. We still don't know if they're going to get through the knockout stage. They've got a tough last game. They've got to beat Villarreal, but still it's, it's very much on the cards, which given their, their situation, their budget is already impressive. And it's got them in a position where people are asking him sincerely whether or not this team can win the Scudetto. And look, I thought he had a good answer for that as well. He said, we can have this conversation when we've been top once because we haven't been top at any point in the yeah. last few seasons. And do you know what? That's, that's a good answer. But they're four points off first, Mina. They're seven points off fifth. And that's a pretty impressive statement yet again for a team that I said before this season started. I thought just by the law of football physics was going to have to come back a little bit down sooner or later. You're right. I mean, it's interesting as to, you know, when he when he does talk about the Scudetto, he's so clear about what he thinks. And it's also you believe him. Like a lot of the times you think others are saying what they're saying because they're scared of, you know, the evil eye or, or they're scared to jinx anything or they don't want to like, you know, rush. But Gasparini always talks so bluntly. And the way that he keeps changing his squad, like Mera Demaral scoring that goal, you know, and I just think to myself, I think it's it's fabulous that Juventus keep giving them these wonderful centre bags <laughs> like Romero, now Demaral, you know, and like and they all turn into these like superstars yeah. when they're under Gasparini. In two years, he can sell them to the Premier League for 40 million euros. And then that's, you know. Exactly. Where, you know, you may make no money. And then, you know, anyway. And then if you are looking for this wonderful superstar that can, that can play all these games, why don't you just make Gasparini your coach? I mean, you bought in Sadi, you bought in Fiendo. Like maybe Gasparini should have been the man that you looked into. Since, you know, you worked there before, maybe that would have been an idea. But it, it is it is amazing because sometimes when I'm sitting there thinking, oh, well, Napoli did so well against Atalanta. Listen to that again. Napoli yeah. did so well against Atalanta. Like, it's almost like Atalanta for me are like the, you know, Manchester United or like, you know, that old sort of cliche of what a big club is that well done to Napoli for coping despite these injuries, <laughs> you know. And that's what sometimes I, I sort of, I mean, this is a team that's still without Gosens that, you know, had to pour. I, I don't think is yet on the level that he usually is. And, and you know, there's, there's Papu Gomez, illiterate. I mean, there's just so many differences from this team that was like dominating and they're even better. Mm. And, and, and part of me thinks, no, you should be beating Atalanta because this is, all of us have so much more, like all the big clubs, you know, Juventus, Inter, you know, obviously Napoli, stuff, all have more money than Atalanta. And yet the way that they play their football makes you really think that, it's amazing what these men will do for Gasparini. And it's amazing how every season they progress more and more as a team and more and more as individuals, because they're part of for me right now. Stunning to watch. He's unreal, isn't he? And, and we probably haven't talked about him enough. And I thought that he was uh, so, so impressive uh, all through the game, but certainly on, on that first goal, the way he, the way he just bullies defenders and he's been doing it for years, but I feel like in the last sort of, 12 months, maybe there's been another step forward. And again, yeah. this is me sort of admitting where I'm wrong a lot at the start of this podcast. Cause I said, I can't remember if it was on this show or if it was before this show actually started recording, but I was very much in the camp of thinking, yeah, he's, he's really good, but is he the right man for Inter to replace Lukaku when that was being discussed? And look, 
Inter found someone to replace Lukaku who's doing just fine um, and didn't cost them as much of an upfront <laughs> transfer fee. But the way Zapata's playing, yeah, he could have replaced Lukaku. He's, he's, he's so imposing and just completely threw Napoli's defence back by a few yards, basically to make that space to then lay the ball back for Malinowski. And you just think he's, he's, not just, he's not just a brilliant footballer, but he's reached that point, I think, where he actually intimidates people a little bit. And I think that is like a, a tipping point for some centre forwards, some number nines, is, is when your opponent respects your game so much that they start overcompensating to try to deal with you. And I think he's, he's at that point now, Zapata, where he's got a lot of defence in Serie A off their game. I will say, because I feel like you, you sort of threw it out there a bit lightly, Mina, Koulibaly is not like just a small miss. Koulibaly is, is probably, for me, one or two in, in Serie A defenders this season. I think he's been playing really well again, which there was a period when he wasn't. But still, you know, this is not, um, this is not a, a ragtag group of misfits. Napoli have plenty of other defenders who play international football, so... Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's because like, I think there's a lot of emphasis sometimes on the individual quality of centre-backs. But for me, defending is such a team unit thing that if it's a player is, I mean, obviously like taking away Tomori from Milan has caused huge problems, but mm. it should really be like a team effort. And I, and putting him next to Ravmani has made such a difference because their partnership just works. Absolutely. You know? their, their characteristics so much complement one another. And having Anguissa and the ability to communicate as a unit has obviously also improved them. And taking away, you know, two of those members <laughs> resulted in how many goals conceded now <laughs> and how many yeah. in the last two matches, you know? So these things obviously do absolutely make a difference. But I just wanted to ask you if, uh, what you feel about now who might be in the top four. I feel like we probably should have like, uh, if someone had paid attention to this, like a running chart of where we're putting everyone, because I bet like it's zigzagging up and down as my knee is jerking furiously. Increasingly, you look at, and we haven't talked about them yet for this episode, but you look at how Inter are playing and you think, okay, like that's coming together, right? So that's that's looking to me like the the natural favorite for Serie A, given they are the reigning champions, given that they have already closed the gap down, well, they're above Napoli now, one point within within Milan and they've got a deeper squad as we talked about on the show. Um, but do I think that the current top four is the most likely top four in some order? Yeah, probably. Um, Juventus the team that... Oh, you think, yeah? Juventus the team that has the best chance to crack, to crack the group, for sure. And we'll talk okay. about Juventus later and whether or not we think they're progressing or not. But, you know, they have got some ground to make up. And right now, I have quite a lot of faith in Atalanta, who I previously thought were the weak link in the group. So if it's not going to be them, who's it going to be? So at this rate, it's going to be a very, very compelling season altogether, but it certainly has been so far. This is why I think Italy should have six places for Champions League, but never mind. <laughs> Maybe someone should come up with a, a league that's special, a, a super league. Serie Chronicles is excited to partner with Alido Media, an Australian digital media agency specializing in website design and development and digital marketing. The Calido Media team has a diverse range of digital skills, including helping our podcast by managing its social media accounts and editing videos for YouTube. Whether you're looking to enhance your website to attract new business or find an audience via social media marketing to generate leads and sales, 
Lido Media will work with you to develop a customized digital strategy for your business. They've had a lot of success in generating leads and driving online traffic for various types of businesses, including home builders, renovators, and kitchen cabinetry professionals, commercial cleaning, and even tennis coaches. So if you're looking to attract new eyeballs to your business to generate leads and drive sales, visit kalidomedia.com.au to get in touch with the team to discuss a strategy to fire up your business, connect with your ideal audience, and communicate your message. Fire up, connect, and communicate with Kalido Media. See the link in the show notes. Here's a snippet from our interview with Gianluca Buzio from Venezia FC. The full episode will be dropping on Friday, so tune out for that. But just for now, listen to this. Rischietto del rigore, la conclusione, la palla che viene deviata e finisce in rete. Il pareggio del Venezia con Buzio al minuto numero 47. I think for me it was always uh, going to be Italy. I think... Uh with my, my, my dad being Italian and, you know, I just grew up watching the city out. Then, you know, the, the more I played in the MLS, the, the more and more interest was coming from, from Italy. So it was kind of just, uh, all written and, uh, you know, perfect for me. So I, I felt that this was the right spot for me and, you know, for Venezia and for me to come here is, uh, you know, I talked to, to some other clubs in the, the city and, you know, when I talked to Venice, I always, I had the, the feeling of a, family pretty much you know even through calls you could tell that they were a you know a tight-knit group and everything was run more of a a family aspect and they were uh you know really just focused and they seemed uh very interested in me as a as a person and a player so for me I, I felt most comfortable when I was you know talking to them and I think that's what uh when I first moved to Kansas that's what I was looking for so kind of was looking for the same things and Venice offered that the the best do you feel that in Italy, you know, playing and in that role, are you forced into that a lot more? Obviously, um, is that something that you feel like, you know, defense is so important to Italians where you didn't feel like necessarily that you, you had more freedom elsewhere? Yeah, 100 percent. I think uh, especially in our team, obviously, we're not, you know, the, the Milans or Napoli's where we can, you know, go out and, you know, cruise through games sometimes. So we have to the main part of our our you know, team is to defend. I think uh, if you don't have that side of it, then you can't attack really. I think the attack starts with the defense. So you need players who, uh, you know, are, are going to want to defend. Even if they're not great at it, it's about, you know, the mentality of it. And, and I think that's what I'm learning now. It's not that you're a good 1v1 defender. If you're strong, if you're fast, it's, you know, if you want to want to win the ball, if you want to defend, then, you know, you can do it. So especially with uh, Zanetti as our coach now, he's uh He's very, very big on that. He can say all the tactics in the world and come up with master plans. But if, you know, there's not 11 guys on the field who would, you know, put their body on the line to stop a goal, then, you know, you're not going to play. And uh, that's something that he's been very, very hard about. And, you know, you know, on the, the other side, on the offensive side, it's more about, you know, creativity and, and be free. But, you know, everybody has to defend first to get there. Even within Europe, we hear a lot from English players or, or players from other countries who go to Italy, that they can be surprised by how tactical the game is, by how much the focus is on specifics of tactics. Was that a, a shock at all for you coming to Italy? Is Zanetti like that? Or did you find it more similar than you're expecting? No, it's definitely what everybody says about it. It's a very tactical. League. I think every game we have, we have a, a different game plan. Every, you know, every other game, we'll have something new to try to exploit the, them and, and you know, how we're going to defend them. 
and uh, I, I like it a lot. I think I'm, I'm learning so much about the game from from each game. I'm just learning a lot, uh, you know, different ways to you know break down teams, different ways to defend, and it's something that you know I didn't really know much about. And obviously, I watch a lot a lot of games, and you know, in my free time, I watch Premier League, the other Serie A games. So. I'm learning a lot, but, you know, the, the best way to learn for me is, you know, really being out there and, and, and doing it. I want to know what he thought of you um, going with the uh, U.S. national team. Was there ever any part of him that was like, hey, you could hold out and, and, and play for Italy? Was that ever a conversation or was that not, a, not at all? You know, by the time I, you know, got to even being in the question of making a, the Italian national team, I was kind of already on the, the U.S. team. So, um like I said, he's a he, he's lived in America for most of his life now, so he's an American fan just as much as he is a, a, an Italian fan. But uh, I've got one other really important question about food, and it's very important just because I I was as I said lived um, close to Kansas City, so I know this is a topic. Is it Joe's KC for you, or is it Gates BBQ? Which is the best? <laughs> um, it was the first first barbecue I went to when I was when I moved there, so. Kind of has a special place in my heart. So that was just a little teaser from Gianluca Cabuzio. If you do want to listen to the full interview that Nikki and I had with the wonderful Buzio, then do listen in because that episode will be dropping in on Friday instead of the Serie A Chronicles questions Q&A. So just for this week, we will have that special interview dropping on Friday. And it's half an hour and we ask lots of questions from best and favorite food, you know, favorite barbecue to what's it like to being in Italy. So you definitely should tune in. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll go back to uh, regular recordings next week. Not sure anyone was applauding in the Stadio Olimpico when Roma lost zero. Three to Inter, who were just simply fantastic. When Simone Inzaghi was asked if this was his best, their best performance actually of the season, he was reluctant to say so because he thinks that they played well in other games as well, and they did. But my God, Inter for me are simply unstoppable, Nikki. I mean, the way that they're playing their football, I had to, despite the fact that I was in the middle of a thousand things, I simply had to go on Twitter because you know of my feelings of. Antonio Conte's tactics and just to see the progression and I'm, I'm sorry but frankly how much better they are to watch right now and this is despite the fact that they had sold Romelu Lukaku they sold Ashraf Hakimi they don't have Christian Eriksen you know I mean these are just and this is despite even injuries as well no De Bruyne no Damian you know this was a, a spectacular performance and and the unpredictability and, and the patterns of play created and the individuals growing. Oh, Inzaghi is tremendous and his football is tremendous. Yeah, I mean, let's start here because we're going to have to torch Jose Mourinho for his team's performance <laughs> as well at some point, or at least I'm going to if you won't. But Inter are soaring at the moment. And I think it was such a sort of, confident performance, regardless of where Roma are at, to, to go to the Sadio Olimpico, to uh, an atmosphere where even when things were going badly for Roma, the crowd actually was still pretty impressive all the way through in terms of staying behind Roma, making it a, an atmosphere that was hot, shall we say. 
it just, there was never a game. Um, even before Chalinoglu opened the scoring and, and the first goal was a little bit chance. Um, initially, uh, goals direct from a corner are called Olimpico and this was an Olimpico at the Stadio Olimpico. At the Olimpico. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he swung the ball in towards the near post. He said afterwards, look, I always put the ball in towards the near post. He wasn't necessarily trying to score, but it went in. But the second goal Inter scored Mina was incredible. I mean, the Seriav posted it on their Twitter account with like a thing about a symphony, but it's, it's 19 passes that Inter play. The last part of it in particular, where it's just one touch football between, I think it's Perisic and uh, Chalanoglu and Bastoni and maybe Correa on the edge of the box. There's one other anyway all sort of just knit together so beautifully. And then Chalanoglu rolls the ball across to Edin Dzeko and you think, that's, that's the stuff. That's the stuff that you want to see. That's a real team coming together. And I think the real sort of celebration of, of Inzaghi ball as well at this point, I think there's been a, a sort of degree up till now when you can say, well, what's Conte, what's Inzaghi? And of course, there's going to be a bit of that all through the season because look, you did in- inherit a team that won the league. But this was, this was Inzaghi. And, and not only was it Inzaghi, but at the very heart of it, two players who weren't even there when Conte was there, right? Chalanoglu, who I had my doubts about fitting into that team at the beginning of the season, but who has been yeah. sensational for the last month. Um, and Edin Dzeko finishing it off. That was one of the best team goals I've seen all season. And um, Inter, uh, week to week, I feel like, again, I think I said it in the last segment, you could chart my reactions to these teams over the season. It's like they are soaring right now. What's the what's the thing everyone says about the cryptocurrencies when they're going well to the moon? Inter are going to the moon right now. That's that's how their their trajectory is looking to me. It's funny because when it comes to Inter, you know, like they are, you know, when a team is good, when you trust them in every big match, and and you feel safe that they will not only just be magnificent in the way that they play their football going forward. But you trust the back line, even when there are absences there. I mean, obviously, this is a much better squad than what Roma have. Um, And I understand that Jose Mourinho has been saying, well, what do you expect? It's already difficult to play against this inter-side that had finished so many more points ahead of us, Um, let alone one where we are missing so many of our starters from Tammy Abraham, who was obviously suspended, Pellegrini, who's injured, you know, no cars or... And yet this was such, it, it was such a ridiculous game because it was almost like, yeah, well, what do you expect? I don't have anything. And then he brings on these, you know, two youngsters in Bove and Volpato. And it's almost like he uses it as a way of either saying, I don't have a squad, so what do you expect? Because I don't have the players that I want. And another form of sort of complaints, if you like, or a case of this will detract from the fact that we had played so desperately and so badly I mean this this is a squad that isn't complete and it has its absences and yet I cannot understand with everything that they've done like you you don't want to maybe try Mayoral like you don't want to maybe you know fill out his back to perhaps put him in midfield you don't want to literally give somebody else a go or or it's like you're so stuck on the players that you have right now and this is what you're going with and, and I just feel that there was no fight. It is so dependent on what Pellegrini can do. Shmurdov just seems like a ghost right now. Um, and I think that Mkhitaryan, when he is up against it, he's not somebody that necessarily always makes the difference against the types of team that Inter is. 
But this is what I mean. You're playing in the Stadio Olimpico. You're being watched by the likes of, of Totti. There were so many incredible people who had come to the stadium. It was such an in, interesting atmosphere, obviously, because of the fact that Inzaghi was the Lazio coach, because of the fact that you know Jose Mourinho was a trouble-winning inter-coach. And yet you just feel like you don't... This is a project going forward and you were never going to get the players. Is this what we're going to expect if you don't have all your stars available? It was very, very disappointing from Roma. Yeah, I I mean, there was this phrase that got a lot of sort of traction afterwards from Mourinho about how his team's uh, offensive potential was null, it was nothing. And I, I just... Don't tell me you've got no attacking options when literally last season's top scorer sat the entire 90 minutes on the bench without coming onto the pitch. Don't tell me you've got no attacking options when you've got Shimorodov, your team spent 20 million euros or so in the summer. Don't exactly. tell me you've got no attacking options when you've got Mkhitaryan on the pitch who we, you know, seen score goals before. When you've got Zaniolo, who's supposed to be one of the great coming hopes of Italian football. Don't tell me you've got nothing. You don't have to be as good as Inter right now. Nobody's expecting you to be as good as Inter. Inter are very um, much away the built best to fight for the league title and Roma aren't. I don't think anyone would kill you for that. But what you do get killed for and what you should get killed for is being this meek in a game at home against Inter. They didn't just lose 3-0, I mean, they were 3-0 down at halftime and there was, there was no Ooh. reaction after halftime. There was nothing. This is a weaker performance than Venezia gave against them. It's a weaker performance than Spezia gave against them. These are not teams that you can look at and say, oh, well, they had all the money. They had all the possibilities against Inter. Roma don't have to be as good as Inter right now, but they have to be better than this. I thought they were awful. I thought they were really, really dreadful. And it's really damning. I'm sorry, but it is. A Jose Mourinho that we are here in December. Because I was, I was enthusiastic at the beginning when we got the goal at Sassuolo, we got Mourinho running down the sideline. We got those memories of, of Jose being Jose and it being fun. But this is a man who is taking the joint biggest salary in Serie A, who's currently got the team eight points worse off than they were last season under Fonseca, seven points worse off than they were in Fonseca's first season at the same point. What are you contributing? Because I don't feel like we can say now that it's no time and no money. You've been here long enough that we could at least see something. Whereas instead, what I feel like is you're heading literally in the wrong direction, away from where you were at the start of the season into something that's just completely, completely disappointing. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head with that. It's, you know, we talk about you know, maybe you don't have the talent that you dream of, right? And like you said, we're not expecting you to do or to play against Inter on equal terms because we know where Inter are right now and they are just a Scudetto winning team. So they are fabulous to watch. And, and for all, I mean, for all my money, I think they could be Real Madrid and win the group of the Champions League at the moment. But to be honest with you, it's also the stats. 20 tackles Inter put in to nine from Roma. I mean dispossessed 12 times Roma how many times were into dispossessed four there's no I mean the whole point of Mourinho if we are not expecting offensive patterns of replay that beautiful football that one touch passing that you know is, is associated to your Pep Guardiola's your Sari's your Inzaghi's now yeah then you're supposed to provide the mentality right the grit the determination the warrior like the harmony the everything that everyone said about it it wasn't ev- obvious there it wasn't evident at all and yes, there are absences, but you're like, like you said, there is Zaniolo on the pitch that 
Paolo Fonseca didn't have. There is Shmurdov that he didn't have. Uh, you know, you're still playing with Mkhitaryan, Veritu, who is a very capable um, midfielder, one of the very best, honestly, in Serie A. You still have Cristante available. Mancini, Smalling, Kambula. Like, how can this team be so defensively poor, lacking in mentality, without an offensive pattern of play that you can really think about? And frankly speaking, like, when you look at the way they are, this is uh, in addition to what they did against Bologna, which was hideous to watch. For me, what annoyed me so much watching them against Torino is that Torino just gave them the, the ability to counterattack. They played such good football, but because they didn't uh, leave Roma with having to figure it out offensively, they lost that match. But frankly speaking, I'm not in, like you're saying, they are eight points off nine if you consider the fact that, you know, they were punished last season and, and deducted points last season, Roma. Fonseca's team was much better, and I'm sorry it didn't have the 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 money that was spent in there. So I don't, like you said, I don't see the value add that Jose Mourinho is bringing into this team. But I don't know whether to be like, wow, Inter are so amazing, or just really disappointed in what Jose Mourinho is doing from a mentality point of view and from an actual tactical point of view. Yeah, look, it's a bit from pot A and a bit from pot B, I think, when it comes to where integrate or where Rome are awful. I think it's both. It's so dispiriting that we, you know, when, when Mourinho came to Roma, I think a lot of people who've followed his trajectory at Manchester United and Tottenham looked at him and went, this will go sour. And there was a counter, I would say a, a countervailing sort of opinion in Italy of, no, this is still the great champion and, and someone who's still remembered in Italy as the guy who won the treble at Inter. And I really felt like this occasion, the occasion of playing against Inter, the club where he did achieve so much, where he did do something unprecedented, where he is still loved. I mean, there was banners for him in the Inter section before kickoff. You feel like these were the occasions that used to get the good Mourinho, right? Like the big stage was always his stage. He was always the one who would impose himself and, and come up with something brilliant when, when all the cameras were on him and he knew he could put on a show. Whereas instead, the lasting sort of walk away of Mourinho from this game is the press conference afterwards where he gets asked why his team is so passive. That thing about the tackles that you mentioned, Mina. And instead of answering it, he comes back by telling the journalists, journalists, well, it's much easier to do your job than my job. And that's why I get paid much more. And yeah, I mean, yes, Jose. I don't disagree with you. Your job is harder than my job. You are paid much better than me, but you're also paid much better than 18 out of 20 Serie A managers. So that's who you're being compared against. Not me. I'm not your sort of competition here. It wasn't my question, but I'm speaking on behalf <laughs> of journalists. Your competition is other football managers. And I just look at this Roma team and I think, do I think they would be... Here's, here's a question, I guess, that we could put it in really blunt terms. Would you feel more or less optimistic about this team, do you think, if Fonseca was still in charge? Much more optimistic. Much more, because I could see a project. And that's it, isn't it? That's it. It's, it's the project. It's the development of players. I mean, look, they, they actually, like Reynolds was the player that, for example, that, that Juventus was scouting, and you have them at, at Roma. Borja Mayoral was scoring tons of goals last season under Fonseca. Dzeko wasn't always available for them at the time. So when people keep referring to his absence, I mean, Roma, he had even talked about the fact that Roma had tried to sell him so many times. Um, you've got Villar, who's got velvety feet every time anyone talks about him. It's about his touch on the ball. 
his intellect on the ball. Yes, maybe he is not your tough sort of Mourinho type warrior player, but he is beautiful to watch. Why is he not being given a chance? Why is the team? I mean, you'll bring on Volpato and Bova. It's almost like you're just trying to just use different ones or detract from what you're doing. But Darbo, what about Darbo that Fonseca had given a chance to? Again, these are all the, the available players where you saw a genuine plan and you could keep mixing and matching them with Fonseca and you trusted the players kept developing, the game kept developing. There was tactical versatility. They were ideas going forward. Yes, at times they lacked the mentality. Yes, they didn't win their big matches. But now it's not a case of just not winning the matches. I don't really see, frankly, anything. And I don't see the patterns of play upset me because through tactics, players can improve on an individual level. And right now, I don't look at any of those players and think, yes, they've taken a big step forward from they were last year. And I worry for that, especially because they do have Pellegrini and Zaniolo and Cristante, who represent the national team. And I need these players to keep developing on an individual level within tactics that make sense for them. And that is what worries me about this. They are a team that do very well when they counterattack, but really offensively, they are very dependent on Pellegrini and potentially some of the vertical movements of Zaniolo. And when those two aren't available, I don't see much there, to be honest with you. God, that might be my biggest rant of the season on this show so far. I just, it's so <laughs> tremendously disappointing to me. It's, it's so disappointing because I think they could be better. And again, it's not about expecting them to be at Inter's level. It's not, but to, to be this sort of insipid, to be this without any sort of character in a big game like this, I, I find really uh, an indictment of, of, of where they're at right now. And um, look, Shows he's not going anywhere in the next five minutes. I'm certain because of that yeah. that salary he's been he's been hired on, and maybe he'll turn it around and and force us to, to eat some humble pie. But it just really doesn't feel at the moment like it's going in a in a good direction at all. And um, yeah, it's it's a shame. It's a real shame. I, I do want to say on a on a positive note, just from what you're seeing from Inter, um, and this mm. is largely because I I sort of you know. A lot was said at the time about the, the sales that they had made, obviously, and it seemed like this was going to be a transitional year because they'd lost, obviously, like two big stars. And then Ericsson and, and his injury added to that. And obviously, Antonio Conte walking out. Do you see that? Do you, do you watch this team and think, I can understand maybe missing Ashraf Hakimi, right? Even though I think Damian has been wonderful and Dumfries finally got a goal and, and was so happy. Yeah, but it's good game for Dumfries. Jacko. Yeah, Jekyll's just been tremendous. Chalanoglu that I was so unimpressed with for so many games. Ever since he played Milan in the derby, I feel like he's, like, <laughs> he's just been tremendous from every point of view. Technical, tactical, his chemistry, like his understanding. Wow. Yeah. I don't know whether that was just the push that he needed, but do you miss Christian Eriksen? Do you miss Romelu Lukaku? Do you miss Antonio Conte? No, the, 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 the team is, is playing really good football right now. Um, I think I talked about this before with um, Spalletti and, and Napoli. And I think that even in the final analysis this season, even at the end of the season, maybe even in two seasons time, whatever in, in Zaghi is, is doing, will have some Antonio Conti in it inevitably, right? Because you always take as a manager some of what came before and you, and you build on it. You are always sort of, unless you're literally setting the whole squad, you're always taking something and, and, and building on it. But I think that this is one of those games she looked at and thought, now, this is now clearly something that has taken another step that is going in, in its own direction. That isn't just 
standing on the shoulders of the people who were there before and, and, and trying to imitate it. And that's a really encouraging step. And I'm, I'm looking at this Inter team as we're recording right now, they're about to head into uh, a, a big game in the Champions League against Real Madrid. Of course, they were unlucky to lose at home to Real Madrid. And I just think, gosh, this team is, is in a position that it hasn't been in for a few years, being moving confidently into the Champions League knockout stage and it's in the title race at the same time. This is a club that contra, uh, counter to, to Roma's um, trajectories is just moving in such a positive direction. And I think that's astonishing when we think certainly again, keep just keep throwing, um, throwing uh, water at, at past Nikki this episode. Um, contrary to what I expected at the start of the season, I did not think that this team would be able to keep moving forward um, having lost those two players. And that's exactly what it's done. Even though some players like Dumfries, I think still hasn't got to where he's going to get to yet. So they've somehow should do it even while some of those players are still working things out. I, I do want to highlight one player who is not new, but who I just think, I think I don't talk about enough. And I think doesn't get talked about enough in general. I just think Brozovic is, is wonderful. I think mm-hmm. Brozovic is, is his, his whole last year has been not appreciated enough internationally. And that relationship that he's building now with Chelinoglu. It's like an, it's like the idea that was had with Ericsson and Brozovic, but it's better. It's going in an even better yeah, direction. I is. think that's really, really important. Well, I mean, when you have a better coach, right? It's just normal that your players <laughs> do better. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to get that in. Um, it's interesting because like you said, it is a step forward um, from, from the difference and obviously the way they play. One team that perhaps hasn't taken that step forward is... Juventus, even though Pirlo was, uh, you know, the novice and new to the sport, there were some great moments for Juventus last season under Pirlo. And you sort of sometimes saw what it is that he was trying to do, not that he always pulled it off. They obviously like managed to scrape in fourth place. Allegri came in, you and I both thought they would do a lot better and they obviously haven't done a lot better, but they managed to beat Genoa. It was a very, very tough, <laughs> I mean, way mm-hmm. tougher than it needed to be. And if there was ever a game that really showed you that they need to buy a centre forward, this was definitely, definitely it. I mean, the way that they struggled to score a goal is something that's just ugh, terrible. But here's the thing. It's always two steps forward for Juventus where you see some things, you know, like against Lazio, players playing in their rightful roles, Rabio not shoved to play on the wing. And you think, okay, this is a great step forward. And then they'll play Chelsea and it'll be an abomination of a match. And then once again, against Genoa, you see, okay, that you know, they're trying to win the ball back higher. There's a lot more energy there. And now I'm worried about obviously everything going forward. But they do have some easier games coming up. What, what do you think about this Juventus side? I, well, my first thing thought is how exciting and how excited I'm sure you were that Paolo Dybala got MVP for last month in Serie A. I saw that award giving out before kickoff and I thought Mina will be in full accordance with this decision uh, to give him that award. Um, but actually he played well. He played well in this game. Um, and I agree with your analysis of this game. I mean, I didn't probably have the same sense of building anxiety that I can imagine you might have as a Juventina because I didn't have the same investment in the result. But <laughs> 27 shots it took them um, before they, I think, well, but when it wasn't the last one, but they took 27 shots to score twice. The, the one nil. 12 on target, yeah. 
Right. And when you think as well that the first of those goals was in fact just a corner. So it wasn't even a shot that they scored from the first time. So <laughs> it was like Chalanoglu's a corner that went directly in for, for Quadrado. It's it's such a an extraordinary scene, just watching them piling onto, let's be frank, a bad Genoa team who are not um in a good place right now. And poor Shevchenko, it should be said, with the best one in the world, has been thrown into a hideous run of games as he starts this sort of journey. He really has, by the way. It's horrible. Horrible fixture list. But yeah, Genoa are bad. And and yet Juventus took a very long time to kill them off, which was, yeah, I suppose quite a fraud situation. But you can look at it the other way as well, which is say, I thought Juventus were just far and away the best team on the pitch. And there haven't been that many games this season for which we could say that. Yeah, that's, that's one thing that you can say. It's annoying because when you see them actually battling to win the ball high up, it's so hard to determine anything because, you know, at the end of the day, it is Genoa, right? And it's like you said, this is a team that didn't even have Robella on the side. I mean, on top of the fact this is a horrible fixture list, they are missing practically all their players. I mean, if Roma are crying then I, I, and Napoli, then I, I Genoa really... I mean, Shevchenko was saying he didn't even know how to find like 11 players to put on the pitch. It was that difficult, you know? They just mm-hmm. couldn't win back the ball. They couldn't even have a shot. Nothing. There was just nothing that was working for them. There was more to them against Milan, certainly. At least they had Ravella than they managed against Juventus. And, you know, Dybala did wonderfully against Salernitana and Genoa. Read what I'm saying there against Salernitana and Genoa. No, that's <laughs> so mean. Dybala is a great player. MVP of the month. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is a very good player. And there's no denying that. I mean, the way his talent is on the ball, they are, Juventus are effectively dependent on what he can do on the ball going forward. The issues, of course, lie in the fact that the way that he plays the game doesn't necessarily suit the rest of those around him. Yeah, but that's not his fault. The other obviously big problem that we have is his availability. He is constantly injured. You're always worried when he's going down. And... um and that has always been a reason why I don't think he's ever managed to maintain that momentum to really like kick on and reach the levels that everyone thinks that he is capable of. Because we know he's talented. We know he's wicked feet. You know, we we know that his intelligence on the ball is is unrivaled at times. But it's just having him available all the time is, is tough to find. And Morat is a second striker. He's not a forward that you need in this team. There needs to be a point of reference, a man up top that they pay off. and. Kulisevsky, I, I don't know whether he's cutting in at Juventus. I feel like he needs a lot of space. And I, and I don't think that he's always going to be afforded the kind of space that he's looking for. Um, I don't know how well he works. And this is a team that obviously is, is not, is, doesn't have Kieser at the moment. But going forward, it's a team that worries me, frankly speaking. And like you said, when you see the top four and just how good the football is that is being produced from Napoli and Milan and Atalanta and, of course, Inter, then there's just no space really for UV. And and they don't really deserve it right now, not not considering how much they had to sweat against uh against Lurley Genoa. What about Milan though? What what do you think of um they obviously had been suffering a little bit against Sassuolo and managed to win over Salernitana but lost Captain Cayer. Coming up against Liverpool. Yeah, so um Kaya was was injured in um, the midweek game, I think, against Genoa. And um, I think that Milan, like um, Juventus, probably very grateful to get 
a game or in their case, a couple of games, which were just a bit easy. You know, um, <laughs> yes. there are certain, there are certain teams in Serie A right now that are really struggling. Um, Jenna are one of them, Slovni Pana are another one of them and Cagliari are another one of them. Now, to throw back for a second, Inter have two of those teams to play in their next three games before the winter break. So Inter have got a very nice little pre-Christmas um, uh, run-up coming in. But yeah, look, Milan Milan kind of needed this, I think. Um, and it's, it's a handy thing to have going into uh, another do-or-die game in the Champions League. Of course, they're playing Liverpool. Their fate is out of their hands. They need the result between Porto and Atletico to go their way as well. I don't know what to say about these games because I, I can't read too much into them because I, I really think yeah. without being sort of mundane um, in what I'm saying, these teams are are really struggling a lot. And and the quality gap between what's happening at the top of City A and the bottom of City A is, is particularly wide right now, it feels like. But, you know, it feels good to win. It feels good to win even after losing a year, which is certainly a, a huge... Um, setback for them defensively. And I think it's, it's a real shame because this team was playing so well with um, Kaya and uh, Tomori there together at the start of the season, but at least Tomori is back now. It's nice to see Salamaka's uh, scoring and, and getting into a groove, but I'm not going to sort of look at this game or indeed the midweek game and say, you know, Milan are back or some sort of comment like that. I don't equally want to say Milan ever went away just because they had a couple of bad results. They're top of the league right now. Um, but I just don't think these are games that you can look at and go, oh, here's a big sweeping conclusion. No, I, I agree with you there because it is difficult to do that. And obviously, like like you said, they are so vastly inferior to anything that Milan will produce. I mean, most of the time it looked like Fioli was experimenting and he even gave Pellegri a chance to play um, against Genoa, but obviously the player was went off injured, sadly, um, and he's having problems a lot with trying to just be available to play a few string of games. Well, I was saying this to you before we started, Mina, but I feel like the injuries everywhere are really like a lot right now. And, and you know, this is a separate point, but I, I, I really am struggling with why we've congested this front part of the Serie A season so much. I, I do not, I'd have to go back and look, but I do not remember many, if any, years recently where we've got 19 games, half the season done before Christmas. And that's where we're going to be by the time we get to Christmas this year. And I don't know why. But it feels like the games are coming too fast right now. And, and really, if you look at the top of the table, and, and especially the top, because they've got Europe as well, but even all the way down the table, the, the injury lists right now seem really brutal. Yeah, and the injuries that could, is what really could make the difference. Because if Napoli have to make do with that Osman, and let's say another injury to Koulibaly if he comes back, you know they are reliant on a lot of these players. Obviously, Africa Cup of Nations come into play as well. Milan again, they'll lose that in the Cup of Nations. You know, Kessier and Benacer, they do suffer a lot of injuries as well. And on top of it, so many teams are involved now as well in Europe, not just in the in the Champions League or Europa League, but there's the Europa Conference League. And then there's obviously Coppa Italia coming up as well. So that, that's even more games for everyone to take charge of. So this is why it's almost like difficult because Inter have the squad depth. Um, I, I do think that they, that is one thing that I always trust with Conte is that he leaves behind a great fitness sort of regime. And, and when people take over and, and Inzaghi has been good at that as well in maintaining that. They had Antonio Pintas last season, which put them in great conditioning, especially towards the latter half of the season, which is what he works on. 
They don't have him this season, but they've seen, seemingly continued that. They do obviously have injuries, but they have great replacements for those injuries in a way that Milan don't or Napoli may not. Um, and, and, and frankly, I'm not even sure that Juve do. You know, I mean, if they lose Locatelli, I, I, I shudder to think, you know, what will happen, for example. So is that what, what we're talking about now? Is that going to be a case of, you know, Atalanta look like the only team where it doesn't matter if they lose half the team. They'll just, honestly, they could just pick people off the road and they'll win. I don't know how they manage these things. You know, honestly, it doesn't even seem like they need their starters. So is that what it's going to depend on in the end? Who loses less? I think it's going to be a factor. I mean, funnily enough, Atalanta had a worse injury situation a few weeks ago and they're starting to get, they're not all the way back, but they're starting to get healthier again. But Yes, it's going to have a big a big impact. We were talking with Napoli about the the impact of the Cup of Nations. It certainly applied to to Milan as well. It applies to lots of clubs in different degrees. But Napoli have effectively had the the players they were going to lose the Cup of Nations taken away from them even sooner. And um, these things are inevitably going to have an impact on on how things shake out. And to a degree, that's completely normal, right? Like in every football season, forever. There have been injuries and some of those injuries have been more important than others. And, and it's part of, of professional sport, not just football, but it does feel to me like this is, again, I'm throwing this out there without having done any proper research, Mina, and, and brought numbers, but it feels to me like the injuries are just a lot right now, more than usual. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Meanwhile, it looks like, you know, the run for sixth, seventh, eighth. I mean, there are so many good teams, but Fiorentina finally managed to get like a, a rare away victory, which is uh, something to rave about. Blaovic, do you think that he's getting closer to potentially staying or you, do you think these are pipe dreams? Uh, it depends what you mean by staying. Um, I, th- I think it's never in my mind been off the table that he could stay this season. Ah, okay. I don't think he'll stay past next summer. I think it was my expectation still that he would leave in January. And I suppose it depends in the end who's willing to dig into their pockets and, and put the money up. I, I know Juventus would love to have him, but do Juventus have the money right now, especially with an investigation ongoing um, to yeah. uh, make that happen? And if it's not Juventus, then who will it be? Is there a Premier League club that would do it? I mean, look, if... um. If Antonio Conte were to say, I want him at Tottenham and Daniel Levy were to say, all right, I'm willing to throw all my money behind it. I don't think Fiorentina would have the financial might to say no to that if the player wanted to go as well. Do you think the player choose to go to Spurs? I, I just don't know. Um, I just don't know is the answer. I, my impression is that he's wanted to stay in Italy, but I think the Juventus move appeals to him. Um, but Well, Manchester City are now in the game. Yeah. And, and these situations are always fluid. You know, I, I had pretty good um, confidence based on people I was talking to that Lukaku really didn't want to leave Inter this summer. And then yeah. it changed. Something changed his mind. Um, you know, that, that happens. Um, everyone's human and, and a particular offer or a particular conversation could change his mind. But certainly my impression up to now has been that Bavich would prefer to stay in Italy. For now, not necessarily forever. I don't mind if obviously like it isn't, uh, I understand that every player has his own ambitions and things. The only reason why I, Blauvich for me is a, ta- is a talent that, you know, we will one day compare with one of the very best, or at least that's based on what we've seen so far. Maybe, you know, we'll come to fruition, maybe it won't. But if he is trying to prove that he belongs with those kids that you should look out for, 
then he needs to be playing in the biggest stage. And the likes of Tottenham and Arsenal who have been following him just aren't on that level yet. I mean, obviously, there's every reason to believe they could be. But if if I'm him and I'm saying to myself, I'm going to leave this wonderful setup in Fiorentina where I really like the coach, they're trying to make me their, their, their richest star ever, then I'm only going to leave it if I can go somewhere that I'm going to definitely grow and I'm going to definitely be seen and have visibility and play all the time or as much as I can, at least for a team in which I can learn from. So unless it's staying with Italy and going to a much bigger club, you know, your Juve's, your Inter's, um, or who are playing in the Champions League, not for any other reason, or go somewhere like a Manchester City, again, Pep Guardiola, playing in the Champions League, winning titles. For me, I feel like those are the only two that make sense. Like as in, in that sense, you know, I don't understand if you're just going to go and just have lots of money from Daniel Levy or something like that. But obviously that's his decision and you're right. Sometimes they do make decisions based on maybe he'll like Antonio Conte, you know, so we, we don't know which way it's going to go. But what about uh, Spezia Sassuolo? What did you think of that match? Well, unlike you, Mina, I was watching the Venezia Verona game at the time, which was bonkers. Uh, we talked about that with Gianluca um, during our interview. and. Uh, Look, that game was was absolutely uh, enthralling for a, a team going from 3-0 up to, to losing 4-3. Spezia Sassuolo, I did not get to watch live, but is in keeping with this uh, wild season we're having and certainly a wild weekend. That was another comeback, wasn't it? They were 2-0 uh, down Sassuolo and having spent the last week raving to everyone about um, Gianluca Scamacca. Now we get to rave about Raspadori instead, the new, yeah. new uh, future of the Italian national team. Dionisi, though, it's weird how Sassuolo are a team that scared Napoli, that terrified Milan, you know, and then they come up against Spezia and they're 2 0 down. And you're thinking, well, what, what, you know, what's going on here? I mean, you have to have, like, obviously, they like playing against the big teams, they have more space to play their game. And that's what's become really interesting. But I think there's a part of us that's all sort of, you know, supporting Sassuolo because of the fact that they've got Berardi, Raspadori and Scamacca. And I wonder whether that should be the starting, you know, trio up front for, I mean, if they do really well, obviously for Italy, just because we can bank on their chemistry, right? I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go all the way there, but it's definitely an <laughs> Italian talent factory right now. And I definitely think it's not... It's not to da mutare. It's not to be to, to, to toss out the idea that some of those um, mechanisms, some of those relationships, are worth trying to, to carry over. I think, for me in particular, it's still the idea of Berardi and Scamacca, just because I think Scamacca's height is so different to anything else that Italy have right now that I find that a really sort of compelling idea, at least as a plan B, even if it's not plan A. Um, but look, if Raspadori keeps scoring, then absolutely he's in the conversation as well. He's already played for Italy. And lastly, before we wrap up, I think that it's nice that uh, Lazio <laughs> managed to shock us again. I have no idea what to think of this team, at least on a defensive <laughs> level. Um, they are the most unusual team, I think, that I've, I've ever watched this season. And I can't quite figure out who they are, what they're doing, and if they know what they're doing. I will never stop laughing at that gift that Nima put up for them against uh, Napoli. And uh, then it was obviously a roller coaster ride against Udinese with like eight goals in a match. For all on Thursday, if anyone missed it. 
just uh, where do you think we'll land or how long is it going to take us to figure this out? I have no idea, Mina. I like you. I'm giving up on trying to work this team out. Do you know what? Like I, if you're listening, if you've listened this far into the podcast, you're probably already on board. But Serie A is a ride this season. It is an absolute ride. Every week we get some just crazy things happening, whether it's again, Venezia 3-0 up to losing 4-3, whether it's Lazio drawing 4-0 with Udinese and then bumping Sampdoria. I know the final score was 3-1, but they were 3-0 up and really in charge of that game. Um, yeah. Whether it's Atalanta Napoli, it just feels like every round of games, which as I've said, are coming even for me, maybe a tiny bit too thick and fast at the moment. I wish they'd spread them out more than three days at a time. But every round of games is just wild. And um, it's certainly been a really, really fun first half of the season, I think. Yeah, it's been tremendous. And it's been uh, great covering it. But I think that's probably all we have time for this week. Yes, it's been such fun covering it with you, Mina. I'm just enduringly delighted that we got this podcast back together. We are um, back on Friday with not our Chronicles Q&A this week with the rest of our interview with Gianluca Buzio, which I am certain you guys are going to enjoy. Honestly, he was a real treat um, to chat to you. So I hope you guys do enjoy it. But we will be back with a Q&A next week. So please do get your questions in on Twitter at Cityacron pod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A. Find us on Twitter at Mina Rizuki at Nikki Bandini. Subscribe to the Syria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. And if you watch an episode, uh, a clip, do hit that like and subscribe button. It all helps us out. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As Mina always said, make it a good one or wherever you get your podcast. And um, Mina, I guess I'll see you. Well, I've already seen you for the Boozy interview, so I'll see you same time next week. I can't wait. See you later, gang. Ciao for now. Cassiani pulled away towards the penalty spot. Coming up on this side, Antonio Cabrini from left back. Chipping it in. And a possibility for... Oh, Rossi! Rossi's got it! Paolo Rossi has done it! 1-0 1-0 to Italy, after only five minutes. Serrazo, oh, Rossi, and Rossi's in again, 2-1! Paolo Rossi, terrible mistake by Serrazo. Bagomi is up there, shot by Tardelli, and it's been turned in! Paolo Rossi was there again, unbelievable! It's 3-2 to Italy. Would you believe it? And I don't think there's been a World Cup match like this. Fallo di Rumenighe. Suoriali, battuta la punizione. Cross di Gentile. Goal! Ha segnato Rossi. Silike, Litmarski, Vermashirea, Pergomi, Gentile ha finito, campioni del mondo, campioni del mondo, campioni del mondo, l'Italia ha vinto la finale.
battendo la Germania per 3 a 1 insieme con il Brasile è tre volte campione del mondo Sports Social Podcast Network Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess Aha in my dentist's office More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.